With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Dr. Wendy Walsh, and you're listening to KFI AM 640, the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on demand on the iHeartRadio app. Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. I sound so hyped up tonight, Kayla, don't I? I'm loving this you energy, know Dr. Wendy. 11 hours sleep. That'll do That's it. good. 11 hours sleep. <laughs> no alcohol. Woke up fresh. Feeling great. I love it, Dr. That'll Wendy. It. We all need to try it. We all need to try it. Uh, hey, if you're new to the show, I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh. I got a PhD in clinical psychology. I'm a psychology professor at Cal State Channel Islands. I'm obsessed with the science of love. I have been reading about relationship health for decades, decades and decades. Uh, today, we're going to talk about how father's unique kind of love is very good for kids and why we need dads and moms. Stop complaining about him. Really, he's doing a good job. Also, thinking about taking a romantic vacation with your partner because you're going through a hard time and you think a vacation's going to solve it all? Actually, the research says it might, depending on what the problem is. Uh, I know you want to listen to this one. Seven reasons, according to science, why women cheat. Plus, later in the show, I'll be taking your calls and answering your social media questions. I'll be going live on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, 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 YouTube. I love you, Tom. That's the thing. Everybody loves you, (laughs) Who we got with us? We got producer Kayla. Hi, Dr. Wendy. We got producer Christina. I don't know if your mic's on, is it? Oh, let's press it. There it is. Oh, okay. Look at this. I got all the girls here. We got Mark Rahner. How you doing, Mark? Present and accounted for, ready to roll. You ever wonder why women cheat? (laughs) Very different reasons than men. You're trying to get me into trouble here? Well, you're going to... Nobody listens to me at home anyway. I can answer whatever you want. (laughs) Just let's shoot the words. It's going to make every man think about their own relationship differently. That's what I think. Raul, on the board, you're going to control me? I got you. (laughs) I got you. He has to control the clock for me. He has to control the buttons for me. It's like, because I'm here with you, okay? It's just you and I. And I don't think about anybody else. All right. So the reason why I slept 11 hours last night is because the night before I had a bottle of wine with a girlfriend and we went out to a restaurant who will go unnamed because it's one of my favorite restaurants. And they had under the glass some food you could take home and heat up in the oven, which we did. However, that food, I think, was sitting there since 7 a.m. And this was 7 p.m. Will you be back? Well, next day, I was supposed to take producer Kayla out for her birthday. And I had to cancel on that girl. And I sent her an emoji that was green and barfing. Thanks <laughs> for the that, visual. Dr. I didn't even Wendy. know that emoji existed until I started <laughs> writing the words and the emojis. He showed, oh, there's the perfect emoji for her. Uh, so here's the crazy thing. I had already made arrangements for other friends to go on a Saturday afternoon to the San Antonio winery. Have you been there? Have you guys been there? No. <gasps> it's in downtown LA. It's the oldest winery in LA. Winery is different from vineyard, right? They get the grapes from all their various vineyards all over California. And they make all kinds of private label wine from everything from some of Trader Joe's brands to uh, various nightclubs, fancy places in Vegas, et cetera. But during COVID, they're on third generation family running it now. Um, they expanded, made this beautiful deck. They do afternoon jazz in the afternoon. All of LA comes. It's not hoity-toity. It is Angeline. I mean, they look, they're in their finest. But let me just say, it is socially diverse. It's economically diverse. It represents LA. So 
anyway, I was supposed to go with these friends, but I was feeling sick and terrible. And so I said, well, listen, here's what we'll do. I will be your designated driver. So I sat there for two hours while my girlfriends had these big flights of wine. And then one of the owners came over and he was pouring wine for them and being so sweet. It was really nice. And it's really nice when you have a, a designated driver because you can go as hard as you yeah, want, even though that was you, Dr. Just Wendy. the smell of wine was making me more nauseous. So Wait, I was sitting there chewing on Tums and eating a pizza. But since your favorite restaurant made you sick, are you going to like? Are you going to go back to it? Yeah. Are you turning? Oh, yeah, okay. No, no, All right. <laughs> I just won't go get stuff out of the glass mm. thing late at night. That's that's not going to happen. Makes sense. You know, this week also I teach. Well, I teach psychology of health counseling and I teach developmental psychology and I teach intro to psychology at Cal State Channel Islands. But I was really excited because I had a guest in my health psychology class. He's the husband of a dear friend of mine. His name happens to be Scott Seacrest there. I just outed you on the radio, Scott. Uh, and he has been in the fitness industry his entire life, like CEO of companies that manufacture fitness equipment. He's like at the cutting edge of all the kind of tech and the integration between our body and you know, like the Apple Watch and all that. He calls it wearables, wearables, wearable tech uh, that record. He said there's actually a way that they can record your blood sugar now. What? Through just an, whatever, a watch. But he also is a former, early in his life, former competitive bodybuilder. He says he does not recognize or recommend that life as being a healthy life because, it, I mean, on the break, Kayla, I'm going to show you the picture of him when he was 19 in Mr. Universe, Teen Universe. Was he a hottie, McHottie? Yeah, he had a little bit of a uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. What was Mullet? that? Mullet. Mullet. Oh, it was a year. It was a time. Mm. But uh, but the body is it's happening. Yeah. Mm. So uh, anyway, the most interesting thing I found about his talk was, first of all, about how wearable tech is changing us. Because as long as you, psychologists know this, as long as you get feedback on your health, whether you're counting calories. Did you know any kind of diet works to lose weight? Even the ice cream diet, all ice cream, because it makes you aware of what you're eating. Anything you stop to do and just become aware. So as soon as you do a wearable that tells you your heart rate, your blood pressure, maybe blood sugar, whatever, you'll start to be aware of what you're doing to impact that. Of course, I'm mm, resistant to authority and my Apple Watch tries to be an authority with me and it tries to control me. So I shut it up. Quick. So when it says stand up, get yeah. some steps and you're like, get out of here. I go, screw you. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> we're done. Don't you order me around. I did not put up with that. Uh, anyway, I, I want to thank Scott publicly for coming, driving all the way up to Camarillo and giving such a great class. But also I noticed that many of the students were inspired by his story and particularly the dudes, right? And and when you teach psychology, it's probably not news to you that we've seen in the last 20 years quite a feminization of college campuses. For every one man who gets a college degree in the last 20 years, there are three women getting degrees. Like women are getting hyper-educated super fast. And now there are still more majority males in the hard sciences, right? Engineering and math, et cetera. And there's argument about why that is. Is there cultural exclusion to women all the way along or is it self-selection at a certain point? I'm digressing, but I do want to tell this little story. So when I was young, like eighth grade, I was really, really, really good at math. And I just loved P sets, problem sets. I would, um, enter my teachers had me entering all these math contests that even had like 11th graders in them and i would sometimes win and i had trophies and at the end of that year i got the highest achievement so then i enter 
ninth grade, which is high school. And I got a choice at this point. We had like three or four levels of math. It was like basic, that's two plus two, general, advanced, or enriched. You know, in Canada, they just divide you right out. So of course there was no question. I was going in enriched. And I remember this woman math teacher, she had an English accent and a little white bob, and she seemed so excited about math. And so she would give us these big problem sets. The next year, now I'm turning 15, it's 10th grade. Hormones are starting to explode in my brain and in my body. And I'm like, I really don't want to spend those hours doing those problem sets every night because I have Glamour magazine to read. And there are some things I need to learn about makeup and hair because this is, oh, no, I distinctly remember that. So I dropped back from enriched to advanced. By the time I graduated, like grade 13, I was down in general because I had parties to go to. I had hair to do. I had makeup. There was nails involved. There was a lot happening. So the question is, did I self-select because of the hormonal changes to my brain that human mating became more important to me? Because what was math leading me to? Making more money. Well, you know, we know that when women make more money, they don't actually, it actually hurts their, sometimes their ability to find mates and keep mates. It intimidates men, Right. So who knows whether just on some hormonal level, I self-selected. Anyway, back to Scott and the speaking. So in psychology in particular, there's an even greater dearth of men. Very few. I mean, if I get three guys in a class, I'm just thrilled. I want to put them right in the front row. I'm so excited to have them there. In this health psychology class, because it involves some fitness and stuff, we have a little bit more. And I notice them being really responsive to Scott much more than when I'm in the classroom, asking engaged questions, writing emails to me later, saying that was an amazing guest speaker and thank you so much, all guys, right? Okay, one, one girl, sorry, Madeline. One. So anyway, so um, I say to myself, what is, it about, what is it about male energy? What is it about male energy that these guys are connecting with? And so I started reading more research about fathers and sons in particular, but also fathers and daughters. And I strolled upon something that was so fascinating. You know, there's a whole new area of attachment theory, Kayla, that's new to me. And it's called the activation relationship theory. Mm. And it's about men and how they love their kids. Wow. We're going to talk about this when we come back. If you're a dad, listen up. If you're a, a mom, listen even closer. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640, Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Okay, we want to talk about daddy love. If you've been listening to me for the nine friggin' years I've been sitting in this chair, you know that I have some had <clears throat> some attachment injuries, partly due to the fact that my dad was in the Navy and he was gone in an inconsistent way, in an inconsistent pattern. And when he would come back, he'd try to make up for it, good good on him, and try to be the best dad in the world. So my attachment organization, my model for love, was basically those guys that come in and treat you really well and then disappear a lot. <laughs> yeah, the avoidant guys who come in, give you sex and gifts and dinner, and then don't call for three weeks. That was just like, it was literally what my experience was as a child, except I didn't obviously have sex with my dad. But anyway, just had to throw that in there. Uh, but you know what I mean, pleasure and then disappearance. So I eventually became a mom. 
I practiced something called attachment parenting because I'd read so much about attachment and hallmarks include uh, breastfeeding, feed as needed, not uh, on a schedule, um, sleeping with your babies, wearing your babies, letting them know, you know, this whole secure, keeping them close. But also the other piece of it that I knew that was important that indeed has played out for my kids is that my needs for closeness should not be put on my kids. So as a result, Yes, I practice attachment parenting, but I also encourage them to get out from under my skirts. Now, put a pin in that. I also went to various mom groups. There was one mom baby group I went to, and they had a very strict rule, because apparently, prior to me joining, it digressed into some bad places. And the strict rule was, you were not allowed to bitch about your husband. Can I say that word like, no? Um, uh, I think that's fine, yeah. Okay, you couldn't complain about that lovely man at home. Because apparently the mom groups just became a session of complaining about men the whole time. And they didn't want to do that. There's no doubt about it. That most men do not invest in babies as much as moms. First of all, their, their nipples do not give breast milk. So there's that. Also, they're often with traditional gender roles being forced to spend more time away working. Secondly, they're just not like they just they don't know what to do with those babies. Now. I want to say there are some guys that are totally into it. They're diaper changing. They're sleeping with their baby. They're holding. They're into it. I've seen them. I saw them out at breakfast at a restaurant yesterday. And I was like, look at all those dads wearing their babies. That's so cool. They're changing. But in general, they love in a different way. So I discovered this thing today called the activation relationship theory. It's a complement to my favorite psychological theory, attachment theory. Now, you know, you've heard me talk about it. I'll tell you again. According to the father of attachment theory, John Bowlby, there are two behavioral systems that are needed for attachment. One is called the proximity behavior system. That means people stay close to their babies and toddlers. And that's why those babies and toddlers were the only part of our population who extremely benefited during COVID because they had a secure attachment figure, more than one around. And when they go and explore this, so the second part of the attachment system is the exploration system where they gain knowledge, they adapt to unfamiliar environments. So concretely, this means you go to the park and the playground, the little toddler, one-year-old, two-year-old toddles through the little sand pile to get over to the little slide and they start to go up the two steps and they check back because they're afraid. It's a new environment and they catch mommy or daddy's eye and a good attachment parent will say, I see you, I'm watching you, you can do this. I'm here for you, right? Go ahead. Now, there are those nervous Nelly moms who are just like, no, be careful. Don't climb up that ladder without me. That's problematic, right? You want to be able to let your child explore and give them the confidence to explore. The theory is when they get older and evolve, they will leave your nest and fly away as both mine have. So the way they test attachment is something called the strange situation test. I know I've talked about this before. Developed by Mary Ainsworth back, back in 1978. They take babies that are 12 to 18 months old and they put them in a strange situation. It's a lab with toys and two-way mirrors and coders look. And at a certain point, they have attachment figure, mommy or daddy, leave and they watch to see what the kid does. Like, if the kid doesn't even seem to care, that's a problem. Uh, kids are supposed to cry when they're attachment figure. But more importantly, what happens when the primary attachment figure walks back in the room? Do the, does the baby look scared? <gasps> That's not good. 
Does the baby get preoccupied with toys and doesn't even notice? Or does the baby run with the hands up with glee and so excited, right? And so they're able to actually tell kids' attachment style at that age, follow them through their adolescence, and they can correlate these schoolers with how happy your relationships will be, how much money you'll make, what your education level will be like. It's, um, it's so studied, this theory, okay? Data, data, data. But here's the problem. Father-child attachment isn't as reliable with the, sta- with the strange situation test. They're, they're not able to really pinpoint it when the dad does the leaving and coming back, right? So they came up with this thing called the activation relationship theory. It says this, fathers matter, but they matter in a different way. According to psychologists, fathers are like catalysts for risk-taking. They actually can ignite children to like use their own initiative in unfamiliar situations, to tell kids to explore, to take risks, to take chances, to overcome obstacles, to be brave when there are standards around, to strangers around, to stand up for themselves. You know, there's this meme that flies around the internet and it's very cute. It's two pictures. One is a picture of a dad throwing a baby in the air. You should know that every dad throws their baby in the air and every mom has a heart attack when she sees this. And what the meme says, it shows the dad throwing the baby in the air. The baby is probably three feet above the dad's hands that are still up in the air. And the baby's falling back down. And it says, what dads do. And the second picture says, what moms see. And it shows the dad with his hands up in the air. And the baby is 20 feet up in the air above the dad, right? So that's what the experience is to moms because their kind of love is more protective. But what we know that specifically with boys, also girls, but specifically with boys, is that fathers facilitate a kind of learning by teasing them, by destabilizing them. And kids have to get creative. So I'm going to tell you, I saw this viral video once. They asked me to comment on, on HLN. It was like a community, a small town community parade and the families were out watching. And some dads thought it would be really funny to duct tape their kids to a tree. So, of course, this video goes viral. Everyone is shocked. And is this child abuse? I'm like, no, the kids are laughing. This is fun. And the dads are setting up a challenge. The dads are there to cut off the duct tape if there's a problem. Nobody's abandoning them and walking away, right? It was just a fun thing. Also, I have to tell you, my boyfriend Julio tells me a story over and over. He feels such guilt and shame about it. One time he was rock climbing with his five-year-old on his back, and they had to call, like, what do you call, who are the people? The park rangers. To get them down, they got stuck. And he got so yelled at by the park rangers. But dads do that. He got stuck and he had a five-year-old no, on his know, back and he couldn't go up any further and he couldn't get down. And I feel bad enough, sir. Don't berate me. I, know. I made <laughs> That's this what embarrassing they did. mistake. Okay, all I want to say is this new theory, the activation relationship theory, should tell all dads, don't feel guilty about what you do, should tell moms, give him a break. If he's involved with his kid, that's what matters in fact at that mom baby group i remember one of the moms said if you're complaining that your spouse is not a good enough dad you need to learn to leave them alone and you can might come back and the baby bottles in the wrong hole and the diapers on their head whatever doesn't matter they're working it out between themselves that's how they will grow to have a relationship and kids need both okay when we come back have you ever thought of going on a romantic vacation just to save your relationship especially when you're in crisis well there's some science to say that sometimes that can actually work 
and other times when it's a really bad idea. Let's talk about this when I come back. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh on demand from KFI AM 640. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. If you're a YouTuber, come on over. I'm live on YouTube right now. Come on in the studio with us. Just go to Dr. Wendy Walsh on YouTube. See my channel. Hey, so um, it's really common that taking a romantic vacation can actually boost your relationship. It worked for me in January. My boyfriend Julio and I went to Dominican Republic actually to um, see his ailing dad. However, uh, we also took some time away from our kids, our adult kids. Remember, we'd just come off that Christmas where every competing emotional interests of four young adult humans, it was, it was tragic. Anyway, so we go to the Dominican Republic. Uh, by the way, apparently when you're from Dominican Republic, you don't go to the beach. So my friends were pretty shocked that I went to Dominican Republic for a week and I never saw the ocean. Or beach. It felt like New York City and Santo Domingo, but it was fun. And they had great, great uh, restaurants. Anyway, it worked for us, right? We had time to reconnect, time to be alone. It was a good thing. So researchers from Texas A&M University did a, uh, a meta-analysis. They looked at all the research out there on whether it, it's worth it to do a romantic weekend away or romantic, if your relationship's in the doldrums. And they found that for the most part, it does work. Uh, quote, time allotted for family bonding is decreasing. So likely attributed to increased career demands and changing family structures. Uh, so basically, they found that having a vacation can actually strengthen a couple's bond. And here are some of the reasons why. Again, not for all couples and not all the time. I'll explain. Um, research has shown that shared leisure activities are highly correlated with feelings of well-being. Of course, if you've got a best friend and you're doing something you like to do, of course, right? Um, in our daily routines, we are just too busy. And when you have that time alone, you can dedicate it to your relationship. You know, you go to a resort somewhere, you spend the day at the beach, work out at the gym, get all dressed up for dinner, and you just focus on being together and talking, right? Travel in general is highly correlated with positive emotions, right? So they, basically the thinking is that planning a trip, carrying out that trip gives you feelings of hope and enthusiasm and well-being. And that naturally affects how you relate to others, right? If you're in a good mood. Um, going on a trip is a time to improve your communication. You're not being interrupted all day long. I hope you're not checking your phone. I hope when you go on vacation, it's to go on vacation. So you'll be able to not be interrupted by everybody else. Um, and also getting out of a routine is very good for relationships. Now, here's when going on a trip will not help your relationship. If your relationship is in a deep crisis, you might have like a relative reprieve for a few days. But when you get home, the same problems are going to be there. Right. So I have to tell you this story. When my daughter, my oldest daughter was like, I don't know, five, six months old, we were on a trip to Mexico. It was actually, it's always a working trip for me. So um, I was walking on the beach carrying my baby and this couple came up behind me and the woman did the, oh my God, look at your baby. She's so cute. Can I hold her? And it was weird because it's a stranger woman, but she was nice. We we're in a resort and we're walking on the beach. 
So I hand my baby to this woman, but I don't get more than an arm's length away from her. And she goes, oh, let's walk on the beach. I just miss my kids. They're at home. And it's just so nice to have a baby, whatever. So I'm walking just behind her with now her husband. And he says to me, yeah, we came on this vacation because we're thinking of getting a divorce because she's just focused on the kids all the time. And she's ignoring our relationship. And I look at him and I'm like, and now she has another kid on her hip. And he's like, yeah, she can't. And, and I, I felt so bad for him. Did he know you were Dr. Wendy Welsh? Or no, he was I wasn't. Sharing? I don't know what I was then. I was just a mom. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he was telling me about how they were there on this trip to rekindle because she was focusing too much on the kids and not enough on him and the relationship. And now what did she do? Pick up some stranger's baby and focus on that. So it's not going to work if you're in crisis. And what are, what are a deep crisis, according to me? Uh, recent infidelity, right? If you're trying to uh, oh, get over an affair, not the time to just go on a vacation. That's not going to fix everything. If someone's suffering from addiction, a vacation where there's, the wine is flowing is not going to help, okay? Um, if you have financial problems and you're fighting over money, going on a vacation is going to make the financial problems worse. It costs money to travel. Go on a picnic. Just go to Trader Joe's, pack a picnic, and that's all you need to do. Um, you know, if your partnership has serious problems being thrown together in a new destination without the possibility of distancing, could be a bad situation, right? You might need your own space. So the bottom line is, a trip is not going to fix anything unless you also put in the relationship work, right? And that means therapy, et cetera. However, if the problem in your relationship has been that both of you are just too busy and you haven't had time for each other, then that's a good time. I also want to say this about romantic travel. Let's say you're in a new relationship and let's say you're thinking, maybe not too new. I mean, we're not talking about third date stuff. We're talking about six months to a year. And you're thinking of, you know, making this official or moving in together or something. Travel is the best litmus test for your relationship. Go on a trip. See what it's like when one of you eats bad food and you're sharing a hotel room together, okay? See what it's like when the airline loses your ticket and you're not in the right seat. And Who takes a tantrum because they're overtired because of the jet lag? I mean, really? You can really dis determine whether somebody can handle the stresses of life by going on a travel, especially extreme travel. Go somewhere far away where nobody speaks the language and you're out in the wilds. Let's see how you survive. <laughs> But if you're in regular run-of-the-mill relationship and you need a little romantic boost, it could be good, but not if you're in crisis. When we come back, myths about love that everyone needs to unlearn. I promise you, most people in our culture believe the things that I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you that you're all wrong when we come back. You are listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh, on demand from KFI AM 640. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Uh, I'd like to welcome my TikTok audience who are, I'm going to see if I can pin this phone number. You know, in a couple segments, I'm going to be uh, taking your relationship questions and calls live. So uh, the phone number, we're, we're, it can be like around 815, but I'll just tell the number now so that TikTok can hear. It's 1-800-520-1534. That's 1-800-520-1KFI. But don't call yet. The phones are not open yet. They will open at 8.15. I do want to talk about the myths about love that way too many people believe. 
And I am always shocked because, you know, I've been reading the science of love for years. I love it when people say love is a science. I'm like, yes, it has biological consequences. The rush of neurohormones on your brain. It has psychological underpinnings, your attachment style, what you learned about love growing up. And it has a social piece. You know, what what you look for in your deal breaker list, what you what you put in your profile. That's so society's idea of what you should look for. So it's always a biopsychosocial event when you find love. But our culture is full of myths and bad news about love. And let's start to go through some of them. I want you to unlearn this. The biggest, well, not the biggest, but one of the myths I think a lot of people believe is this idea that opposites attract. That if you could find somebody that's different than you, it'll be exciting and you will stay together. Well, the truth is the research shows that it is not that. People who are like each other, now that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, racially or whatever, but socioeconomic status perhaps, values, very important. People who are compatible, get along, have a stronger emotional bond, they communicate better, they cooperate more. Oh, and research shows they also invest more in their kids. So you actually want somebody to be like you. Now, here's the thing. When you do find somebody who's different from you, it's exciting, right? It's always exciting. So you think this must be love. But in the long run, it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring that important exchange of care. It doesn't bring those feelings of security. All those are the most important ingredients for love. Kayla, have you ever dated somebody who is completely different from you? Yes, it was. In what way? Um, different political beliefs, different experiences in life. Yeah, see, that's a rough one. For yeah, because it it's that's a value thing, right? Yeah. A, see, politics have become almost of social values of what you value in life. And it was around like the Donald Trump and the kneeling era back oh. then, back in oh. those days. And I just felt him and I argued way too much about yeah. those things. Yeah. I was just like, I don't think it's, I like you. It's not going to work. Yeah. Exactly. So find somebody who's like you and you'll have a longer, happier relationship. Okay, the second myth I want to talk about. This I hear all the time. I've been on other people's podcasts as a guest and they've argued with me about this, but I'm right. Uh, <laughs> this myth that you shouldn't settle unless you meet your soulmate. All right, we need to stop. There's no such thing as a soulmate. What people do when they're falling in love with somebody they're attracted to and their brain gets hit with a cocktail of neurohormones is they have imaginary thinking that it's a soulmate, that it's meant to be. No, soulmates don't exist. In fact, I'll tell you this. People with good relationship skills have happy relationships. They find more partners. Happy people have happy relationships. It's an inside job, right? But more than anything, if you learn good relationship skills that include um, conflict resolution skills or good communication skills or being able to be authentic and share your feelings with somebody, you're actually going to find more soulmates. They're not really soulmates. They're just compatible people because you know how to be a compatible person yourself. Oh, Kayla, you are not agreeing with me. No, I am agreeing. I, I, you know, because I've learned throughout my years, everybody I like at that time is my soulmate. So yeah. maybe maybe there's something to, 
Something to this no There's not thing. some mystical thing like oh, Cupid shot an arrow. Mm. The universe is coming together. It's a magnetic pull. No, you find the person's hot. Your brain's getting a high of dopamine. And so you're calling it a soulmate. That's all that is. All right. I will say, though, my boyfriend right now, he's my soulmate. No, I... I Dr. Wendy. It means I have the imaginary thinking. It means I have the imaginary thinking. I know logically what he is. We're very compatible. That's what that is. All right. Here's another myth about love that it's time for you to unlearn. Happy couples shouldn't ever fight. Literally, there are people out there that believe that if conflict happens in a relationship, the relationship must be over. There are people who believe that. I get, like... What is fight, though? Isn't that relative? Because, well, yeah. Let's talk about the style of conflict, mm. first of all. So there is research to show that actually the happiest couples have the most frequent arguments, but they don't have big drag down, knock them out battles. I'm not talking about domestic violence. I'm talking about yelling and screaming and whatever. What they have are literal little border skirmishes all the time while they're constantly executing their boundaries or choosing to make compromise so that the relationship will win, right? So it's really important when you fight that you ask yourself all the time, do I need to win? How can I have the relationship win? That's the important thing about conflict. I remember that guy who called in. I think I talked about him. I wish he called back. But he said him and his wife, they've been together, I believe, nine years. And they do once a month, like, hey, is there anything that bothered you that I did this month? Is there anything that bothered you? And then they have, like, healthy conversations. And he said they've never fought since the time they've been together because, I guess, these conversations they have monthly check-ins. Yeah, and somebody on the outside might look at those conversations mm. and be like, that's kind of a little conflict because they're disagreeing on this, but then they're coming together on it. I mean, we... Julio and I do not fight, uh, but we we disagree. That's what I'll say. We disagree about things, and we make decisions about who gets to sort of be the winner, or we make a decision to just disagree and have the relationship come first. I mean, I think the important thing that people understand is that don't avoid conflict, because conflict is the thing that makes you keep your feelings inside and be inauthentic and the more you avoid conflict, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to bubble out at some point and you're going to have a huge volcano of an explosion because the pressure has just built too high inside yourself. Or worse, it's going to impact your physical health, right? So keeping everything bottled up is not good. In fact, research from the Gottmans up at the Marriage Lab at the University of Washington says that being dismissive or stonewalling or avoiding conflict is the greatest predictor of divorce, right? So this idea that happy couples should never fight is a complete myth about love. But yet people, especially people who, um, you know, who don't have a good model for love. So early on in a dating relationship, they get into a little tiff with somebody. So they're, it's more quick for them to go next, next. It's easier to find somebody else than it is to just, well, what was that about? And what happened? Now, Let's be clear, there are really unhealthy ways to fight. And if somebody expresses toxicity, abuse, anger, like like anger that seemed to come out of nowhere in the really, really early stages of dating, well, you, yeah, that's a red flag. That's like, okay, you can go next. But if you've just had a fight, I remember the first time Julio and I had a fight. It wasn't a fight, but a conflict. I had just come out of getting my first vaccine 
where I lined up at Dodger Stadium for four hours. I was exhausted. My daughter was driving. I was on the phone with him saying, we're going to go have dinner. And she drove like friggin' 85 miles an hour on the 110 and so much traffic. And I screamed at her, slow down, right? And he, he was the first, we had only been dating a little while. And he heard my voice and he's terrified of female anger. I learned that about him now. I just be gentle with him. But um, when I finally got to see him, he was very cold and standoffish with me. And I'm like, what's going on? And then he was a little snappy. You know, that's how he gets, a little snappy. And I ordered a margarita and he's like, margarita's $20. I'm like, really? I'll pay for my margarita. What, what is that snappiness about? And so then he said, I just, I heard you yell and I just didn't like the yelling. And I said, um, I'm, and then I got really sad because this is a guy I was attracted to and then he saw a bad side of me. And then I felt shame about that. And my stomach all churned. And all I said to him is, um, I have a running feeling right now. I just want to get up and I want to run. And I'll tell you what he did when we come back. I have also three more myths about love. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. What is happening with me? I don't I'm know. Too much Diet Coke. <laughs> when we come back, I'm going to Instagram. You've been listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh. You can always hear us live on KFI AM 640 from 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.